Hey there guys, welcome to the Barefoot Coach podcast episode 2. I just wanted to start off by apologising to all the passionate Macarena fans out there. If you didn't listen last week, every time that I stuffed up, I had to sing the Macarena, which I'm well aware was in fact the ketchup song. So maybe it was subconsciously, I knew that I didn't really know the lyrics, who really does? Anyone does it there that says they do, you're lying. So uh, look, I'm going to make it up to you this week by actually seeing the Macarena if I do happen to stuff up at any point. So watch out for that one there. Hopefully it's a clean podcast so that doesn't have to happen. Now I wanted to follow on a little bit from last week by starting off um, on giving you another tool you can use for the new year as you continue to try and make these changes um, and get on top of the goals you want to achieve. So today's is going to be modeling behavior of top performers. Now this may be for someone who, let's say, wants to commit to the gym. They want to get up for 6 a.m. classes, three days a week, um, and currently they're struggling a little bit with it. Now we want to look at the, the smaller actions that the top performers are already taking. So that person you admire that's already coming five days a week and has been for the last two and a half, three years religiously, what is it they do on a nightly morning um, in between basis that gets them to the gym and gets them consistently working out? So it may be simple things like they make their oats the night before. Maybe they pack their bag um, with a change of clothes. Okay, they set three alarms with different ringtones. They already know what podcast they're going to listen to on the drive to the gym. They tell a buddy that they're going to meet them there. Lots of different possibilities. Now, a couple of ways you could approach this or break this down. One would be to ask a top performer or someone that you admire in your own class, in your own gym atmosphere, or someone that you know a relative or a friend that does this already, and just ask them to break down their approach. The night before the gym, the day before the gym, the day of the gym, what is it that helps them, those little actions that help them get there there. Another way you could do it, if you don't have somebody to ask, you could build a theoretical template and tweak it um, as you find out what works well for you and what doesn't. Okay, so for this week's episode, we're looking at whether training for health versus training for to be competitive whether they're mutually exclusive or whether they can in fact coexist. Lots of people competing in lots of local level sports and aiming to progress higher, whether that be CrossFit, bodybuilding, uh, triathlons or marathons, field sports, strength sports. It can be hard sometimes to find the right balance for where you're at in life. And as you get more and more excited about what your potential is for this sport, it can be a little bit confusing as to what your goal is. Is it to continue to become healthier or has it now become something different? First of all, finding the two and having a clear context for what we're going to discuss today. So optimal health would be trying to stay metabolically and physiologically healthy, so avoiding chronic disease, etc. Maintaining a healthy body weight, range of motion and to have a constant de-stressor in your life. Training for fun, maintenance, feel good chemicals like endorphins, dopamine, community to support you along the way and to form new friendships, bonds and belong to something and that's your local club, your gym um, or anything else and although it's part of your weekly routine it's not the most important thing in your life. Um, you have lots of other commitments outside the gym and live life with a nice balance between most optimal health choices in regards to sleep, nutrition, exercise and lifestyle while enjoying some of life's treats and rewards like a cold beer. So really that word of balance comes to mind and allowing yourself to look at all the areas where maybe you're not living optimally and trying to, to make them better without being perfect. 
Now, competition varies a little bit in that I would look at it a little bit more in terms of a singular focus on being the best athlete you can possibly be. And a lot of these things will revolve around your sport or what you've decided you want to be the best at. It involves a higher volume of training and a daily pursuit towards improvement all the time. Dialing in every possible element of training and lifestyle from sleep, nutrition, stress, habits, mindset, everything. Sacrificing what is necessary to reach the very highest levels of the performance. This may mean friends, holidays, nights out, work opportunities and other life experiences get left by the wayside. It may mean high levels of restriction and the removal of pleasure in some areas. Some levels of health, pain, etc. may need to be ignored. And you would see that in the physio bills of a lot of high level athletes and the amount of surgeries they need to have. Again, no one's telling you how to live your life. This, this is not designed to be something to tell you not to pursue a goal or to pursue a competitive mindset or lifestyle. It's just important to balance things up and look at what the bigger picture is here. Um, and the last thing you wanna do is climb atop that mountain and still feel empty inside. And so we wanna look a little bit as to how we can bring everything up in our lives, not just our competitive goals, and try to find balance. So I personally believe that there is a nice balance between health and com competition that can be found. So if you qualify with the following checklist, then I would suggest that you are pretty well capable of completely 100% pursuing competitive dreams. So that would be if it was actually your job, you're a professional athlete, or you have potential to be. You're in that 1% of the population who has both the ability and the drive and work ethic to make it big in the sport. Maybe it's your passion. You truly love competing in it, not just because you're good at it. You live, breathe, and dream about this stuff all the time. You have as little outside commitments as possible. So kids, business, high-pressure jobs, financial, or you have 100% backing of these people and they're okay with you being absent a lot of the time. Your perfect day revolves mainly around 90% eat, sleep, think, and train towards your sport. Extreme approaches mean you're willing to go as far as needed, maybe even doing things ethically that go against your values. I should point out this is not every athlete and not even necessarily the majority. You have a long-term periodized plan for success over many years to come. So this is a long-term dream, something you're willing to throw a lot of years behind. Now, I would make the argument that most people listening here and about 99% of the population aren't in the above scenario, far from it. Nor would they probably ever be. That's just reality. However, that's not to say you can't have goals and ambitions to be a much better version of yourself. And this is where I want to try and find that nice balance between health and competition. Here's something you have to consider about the above scenario. And unfortunately, a lot of people start to fall into chasing these sort of dreams without those prerequisites that I just talked about. Not to mention we only have so much of certain commodities, and these being time, energy, finances, and mental willpower. And so how you balance and efficiently use these will determine how much success you'll have in throwing your hat in the ring of a competition or whatever it is your competitive goals are. So you need to ask yourself some questions so that you can get the most from your time and energy investment. And that's really, really important. Every second you spend on this earth, you're investing in something. And what is that going to be? And so what I want you to do is ask yourself a few questions. The first question is going to be, what is my goal here? What, and more importantly, is it realistic and do I have control over it? If your goal is to win the CrossFit Games, do you have control over that? Now, some people would argue yes, but I would argue you also have no control over your other competitors. 
their DNA, their genetics, their ability to outtrain you, their circumstances, their mindset. There's so much more that goes into competing than just simply your own performance. You may be 100% happy with the performance that you put in, you worked hard and corrected your weaknesses, and someone at the end of the day is just better. There was just a bigger fish. So I suppose analyzing that a little bit further, how can you set a goal that is completely within your control? And is it realistic? So go back over episode one if you want a little bit more advice in terms of how you can break down those goals. And following on a little bit from that is looking then at what is my biggest weakness in my chosen sport? What's my fear point? And you can essentially work your way back and find your three biggest weaknesses from there. For bodybuilding, it might be a certain body part that you need to check in on a little bit more. For a crossfitter, it might be something like your gymnastics. Now you might analyze that a little bit further. But really when I look at it, my strict handstand push-ups are phenomenal. Maybe I'm not so great at muscle-ups. So that would be one you would put on the list. And this will depend on context of where you're trying to get to as well. I might just want to be a really good beginner competitor. Therefore, muscle-ups are not really something I need to focus on. At least not for competition. It's breaking things down a little bit more for your sport and for your given weaknesses and knowing what the three important parts are. Delving a little bit deeper than just simply saying, I suck at X, Y, Z. What is it you actually suck at? Okay. For me personally, I know that in my chosen sport of CrossFit, thrusters, anything involving a squat pretty much, but in particular for my sport, a front squat, squat clean, a thruster would be the most important three factors there. In terms of fitness, it may be a lung capacity issue. It might be that I just don't have great breath control. Maybe it's something more to do with muscular endurance. It might be a poor fueling. Maybe my nutrition needs to be just that little bit better. I need to eat more carbs around my training. So going through and ticking those things off a little bit more and asking the deeper questions rather than just what more can I do? How can I do more training and try to restrict more and more things? Again, going back to you only have so much time, energy, finances, and mental willpower. So next I wanna look at what are the smallest actions I can take towards fixing this? Again, what is gonna require the least amount of time and energy? And this involves breaking things down. Could I simply aim to do that movement consistently at least once a week, right? Could I train that body part once a week consistently with a complete focus on it? Could I look at my technique? Could I look at the mindset around that? Am I experiencing fear that's changing my breathing, my body language as I'm approaching that movement or that thing that's holding me back? What are the things that I can hack into that require less time and less energy? And then you can always build off of that. One of the quotes I always like to refer to is, a skill a day keeps the fear away. And let's say that muscle-ups are one of those fears, one of those things that you know if you stepped up in competition, there's a potential for you to fail and that holds you back. Now sure, you could go ahead and do three dedicated days to muscle-ups and lots of progressions and drills and that would all work great. You could go and get a PT, you could do lots of potential things to work towards. Now a really small and simple action you could take though is to try and do one muscle-up a day, okay, provided you've actually hit a muscle-up. Each day you're able to refine a little bit more and you're able to kill the fear of actually executing the skill. Now it may be that on day five you do 10 reps, another day you do three, Another day you just do one. But eventually what happens is you're accumulating that 10,000 hours of practice to hopefully have the mastery over that skill, kill the fear, and feel like you're a little bit more in control of your competitive goals. So what is that smallest action? 
Now that may eventually build into something a little bit bigger. You might then follow for a little while a six week program to try and get better endurance in your muscle ups. And then again, go back to that daily practice until you feel like you're at the point where no matter what happens, you know you can always execute the skill. Break that down, make a little list, start as small as you possibly can, and then build out from there a plan. The next thing you can ask is modeling the very best out there in the world. What are the most uh, committed people doing the best um, executors of the skill or executors of the thing you're trying to improve? What is it they do consistently? And then look at what percentage of that you can commit to. Now, obviously, as a CrossFitter, if you're looking at Matt Fraser and what he does on a daily basis, there's no way that you can compete with that. There's no way that you could stack up to that level of commitment and that level of time investment, energy and all the rest. But what you could do is look at small aspects. Maybe it's a part of his mindset. Maybe it's a certain way that he attacks a workout, a certain uh, frame of mind he gets himself into. Maybe there's ways that he simply moves better. What, is it, what are some lessons you can take from the very best in the world or, or somebody in your given sport? And so then being able to look and sort of build a bit of a structure around that and just taking those lessons into a little bit of daily practice. So you're you know, using your daily workout and making it more optimal. And the next part is what is your health structure? Now if you have a little think of a pyramid here for a second, your health structure would be the, the bottom there, the base. And that's your routine, your consistent. It's kind of what we talked about before. It's the maintenance, the fun, a little bit of skill progression, play, um, and stuff you go there. It's not necessarily always improving your weaknesses, but it's stuff that you enjoy doing. Maybe it's sometimes your strengths, sometimes it's your weaknesses, but it's stuff that just involves that consistent training. And honestly, I think that's usually the most important part for you progressing anyway in life, is being able to do something consistently for a long period of time and having fun doing it. You could also argue this is where the health structure is not perfect in that it is, I think, hugely beneficial to every now and again be able to throw your hat in the ring and challenge yourself to step outside your comfort zone in something like a competition because it allows you to progress and it challenges you from the status quo. Change in life is inevitable um, and being able to seek out that change and help yourself go further in life starts with things like trying a competition. It may mean that you, know, you proving to yourself that you could go and do what you didn't think was possible or you went and did what you set out to do may go into other areas of your life and you go and take on a new career from it. It's all about how can your training affect all the other aspects of your life. And there's one thing that competitive athletes can teach people training for health, it's that commitment and that resilience and that ability to follow through on the promises to yourself. And the final part is looking at are there periods of the year where I can really turn up the volume a little bit? Okay, so maybe there is a competition that you hallmark. Around that competitive time, you know there's gonna be a downtime at work, Maybe you've got some time off. Other areas in your life that are not so aggressively happening. So on your calendar, are there certain competitions you'd like to spend a real solid six weeks building up towards? Getting into that competitive mindset, maybe living and breathing that sport for a little while. Might even be a shorter period of time, might be a three week build up, whatever it is. But challenging yourself outside of that health aspect and facing the fear of potential failure. And so moving on, we're looking a little bit now at the stress bucket and how that's going to influence how much we want to be in the competitive zone versus how much we want to be in the health zone in reality. Okay, so in a perfect world, we'd like to be able to do all the things that keep us healthy, be competitive, live a nice balanced life. That's not usually how things work out. So if you could picture for a moment a tap, 
and beneath that is a nice big bucket. Now you're going to picture the bucket as being your brain and then eventually your body as well as an extension of. Now the tap is going to be all the inputs coming in from outside, the actions that you take. So training, workload, family, sleep, nutrition, social stresses, environmental stresses, anything that basically brings stress to the brain or the body. As, those, as the tap drips into the bucket, eventually we're going to start to see a little bit of an overflow through those stress outcomes. Now that eventually may be things like sickness, vertigo, teeth grinding, uh, skin outbreaks, worse performance, depression, um, old issues rearing their head again, addictions, etc., injury, inability to sleep or even switch off, weight gain. There's lots of different potential possibilities, but it's generally a negative outcome. It's when we can no longer handle the amount of stress and inputs we're putting into our bucket. And the brain has many ways to survive and they're not always understood, but it's usually always a way for your brain to say you need to slow down or stop what you're doing. Being able to manage what you do is really just as important as what you actually do. So yes, someone can go out and ramp up their training to multiple days a week and really get stuck into it, but maybe they haven't earned the right to be able to recover from that yet. Maybe you're dialing in so many different areas that it causes more stress than it's actually worth. Bearing in mind the stress bucket and being aware of that and actually paying attention to symptoms of your body and looking at other areas you can turn off a little bit or back off a little bit. And sometimes that might have to be training and that's okay. Even as a competitor, that's okay. Like we said, different times of the year where you're looking to ramp up and different times of the year where you're looking to simmer down a little bit. And the next part with the mindset stuff, so going from the stress bucket and sort of leading into, you are more than just the goal you are chasing. And I think this is really important because some of these extreme behaviors or doing things that are not really in line with what your current life is, comes from the idea that you are only what you're chasing right now. But it's important to remember that you are much more than that. Your identity is not built off purely what your competitive sport is. And this is why I think sometimes people go too extreme into the into the column of competitive when they're really enjoying and seeing some of those results until it gets to the point where it's no longer enjoyable. Maybe you didn't quite get what you wanted, you didn't quite achieve what you wanted yet, therefore you associate that with failure. And that comes a lot from this entitled generation, um, which was talked about in the subtle art of not giving a fuck uh, by Mark Manson. If you haven't had a read, fantastic book. And one of the things he sort of talks about is, you know, social media has brought us so much so connected but it's also brought us a lot of fake lives and we see all the best the very best of everybody's life the very best of everybody's performance and journey and we compare ourselves consistently to it and we get this entitled mindset that we should be better we deserve to be better we don't want to be average anymore no one wants to be average so on one hand it's it's birthed i guess a lot of elite performers but it's also birthed a lot of depression as people don't quite reach the heights of some of the people they follow and admire and so it's important to remind yourself that this is your journey and your identity is not built off your journey versus somebody else's. And so as you're working your way through this, ask yourself if you're being, if some of these extreme behaviors or restrictions are being born from wanting to be more like that XYZ person. There's nothing wrong with admiring somebody and really um, using that as fuel and motivation, but it's just important to remember to stay in your lane and stay out of other people's heads and journeys and just focus on what it is that you're doing. Now, whether that means you have a bit of a social media sabbatical or whether it means that you just go into life with a little bit of a mindset of remembering that you're just seeing the very best of what it is they have to offer. Everyone goes through the same stresses in life 
and you don't necessarily have to reach these dizzying heights of extreme performance to live a, a life that you can be proud of. All right, so we got a little bit, uh, a little bit deep there. <laughs> Um, but really what I'm trying to get at there, I guess, is that you can absolutely uh, find a balance between really enjoying competing. And when I say competing as well, for people out there that say, oh, I'm not competitive or whatever, I just simply mean throwing your hat in the ring into a greater challenge. So whether, that, whether you see that as challenging yourself more or whether you see that as competing against other people, it's basically trying to push your comfort zone a little bit more and being involved in a sport of some description. In summary to all that, I guess what we're looking at is what it means to be fully competitive or fully committed and are you going too far into that, a world of sacrifice that you don't necessarily need to be in? Um, are there smaller actions you can take to allow you to hack your way to continued improvement in your chosen competition without needing to go in all in and do all the things all the time? Okay, and not allowing yourself to have you know, a feast at Christmas Day. Okay, I saw a really, really good quote when something on the lines of, don't worry about what it is you're eating between December 25th and December 29th. Worry about what you're eating consistently between December 29th and of the next year coming through back around to Christmas. And I thought it was a really good insight because it's like it's not about that one week. You know, if you're a competitive person or you're a committed person to your health goals and you've done such a good job across the whole year, you're in that sort of 80-20 sweet zone, why should you be stressing about a day that you can, where you should be able to just switch off? And I, I feel like I'm someone that's really, really passionate about that, that when you're putting in the hard yards and whatnot, you should be allowed to turn off a little bit every now and again. And this is a little bit of what we're talking about with that life balance. Um, so it's going and having a look back at some of the highest or the biggest bang for your buck actions that you can take. They don't necessarily have to be massive. You don't have to take on all this new workload and all these different things. Just look at the smaller actions you can take and ask a coach to guide you in the right direction of that if you know if you can't quite figure it out for yourself looking at the very best performers in the world how can you do a small fraction of what it is that they do to get better having a look at what your health structure looks like how can you improve that so that you aren't just simply becoming a better athlete but you're also improving all those markers that you probably got into health and fitness for in the first place remembering the stress bucket and trying to pay attention to the signs of your body when it's had enough and finally we're looking a little bit at that mindset and just having some awareness over the the reality that what you see in socials and instagram etc is not the reality of what really occurs you're seeing the very best of their situation so it's important not to compare yourself and can consistently beat yourself up and look at all the things you, you're doing wrong and constantly seek out more 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 Look at optimizing the choices that you make and you'll live a lot, a lot happier, more balanced life overall. So really, in my opinion, they are mutually exclusive. Uh, so they are, sorry, they are not. Oh no, right at the end. Okay, here we go guys. Brace yourselves for the Macarena. Oh, what can me and a Macarena Macarena? Who's it gonna sound like a Macarena Macarena? Hey, Macarena! Hey! Now that was 100% not the lyrics. I have no idea how to sing the Macarena. So I apologise in advance. Um, if you're from that country, you know exactly how to speak it. So going back, uh, in summary, um, I believe that they can coexist. That is training for health and training to be competitive when approached in the right way. And that's really all it is. Break it down a little bit more, know what it means to you, 
and don't get pulled too much in either direction. Okay, guys, cheers for tuning in again. Next week, we're going to be chatting to the one and only Brendo McCormack and his lovely partner, Shell, and really, really looking forward to that. Till next time, this is the Barefoot Coach Podcast. Cheers again, guys.